0: It is a pleasure to be here today. appreciate the invitation that's been extended by the elders here to come and to spend this week with you. We've been looking forward to this for some time and good to see all of you again. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we especially welcome you. We want you to feel at home. Uh, we appreciate you taking time to be here and to uh, enjoy this experience this week. I hope and pray that the entire meeting will be a benefit to you and that you perceive this as a week that. You can draw closer to God and that there will be spiritual blessings to your life for being here and certainly hope that the teaching will help you in that as well. We've entitled this theme of this entire week that we're part of a family and that's a pretty broad spectrum. It was done that way on purpose because that gives me a lot of liberty as to what to talk about. But basically what I want to do is I want us to think about this week that we're a part of a family in several different ways. Number one is we're the church of God. We're part of God's family. And I want to talk to you about the church, and I want to talk to you about our relationships in the church, et cetera, this week. Another aspect of it is is that the importance of our homes, and I want to talk about our homes this week. And moms and dads and children and granddads and grandmas and, and aunts and uncles and responsibilities to each other. We're a part of those families as well, and that's some of the teaching that I want to work on this week. And I hope that uh, you'll find it beneficial to you, and I hope that it'll help you. Uh, in your homes in our in our christian homes and may god bless our christian homes because it's in the strength of those homes that we find our strong congregations and god bless all of you this week and anything we can do lisa and i are here we're here to help and anything we can do to help with this meeting we certainly want to do as well and such a privilege to be here and to spend this time with you guys this morning specifically i want to talk about the church i want to talk about being the family of god the called out And I want you to look at a passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 2. If ever there was a definition of the church, it's it's in this passage. 1 Corinthians 1 verse number 2. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So when I talk to you about the church, I want to talk to you about a definition of the church. And that term is used in Scripture in multiple ways. It's talking about the fact that the church of God in this particular place was at Corinth. So he was talking about a local capacity of the church. But the definition of the term church is given in the passage. Them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So there's an aspect of that that this was written to a local congregation. But he also said in that local congregation were those that were sanctified in Christ Jesus. We call them saints. In our terminology nowadays, we might use that term somewhat derogatory. He thinks he's a saint. Well, you are saints. He doesn't think he's a saint. You've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're a saint in the eyes of God. And he gives us another aspect here, called to be saints. Now, that's where I termed the message this morning, the called out. You've been called to be a saint. That's what you've been called to do. And then I want you to notice the next phrase, all that in every place... Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ our Lord. And here's more of a universal aspect. So we've talked about the local aspect. You've been called to be a saint, sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a local congregation of the church there at Corinth. And there's a universal aspect to this, meaning everywhere and every place it's called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been baptized into Christ, you're a saint. You've been called to be a saint. You're a part of the church of the living God. And I want to talk to you about that church this morning. What a powerful aspect that you and I are members of the Lord's kingdom. Now, the term church is, uh, well, or the meaning of the term church is used. There are several different words in Scripture that denote the concept of the church. The church, when we use that term, basically means the called out. You're the called out. And there's multiple ways that we're called out. If you wanted to do your Strong's definitions, etc., and I'll show you a definition here in just a moment, There's multiple ways it's used. Sometimes it's used individually. We've been called out ourselves out of sin, sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's used in a local sense. We've been called out of our homes into an assembly of the church and the term is used that way in scripture sometimes it's talking about the kingdom of god universally again that term church is used in multiple ways in scripture acts 18 and verse number 22 when he had landed at caesarea gone up saluted the church he went down to antioch now he wasn't talking about a building he was talking about saluting a local group of people that were a part of a local body of of saints that were meeting there body is another term that's used in scripture And it denotes the church. It's talking about the church, the called out, those that are sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, called to be saints. It's the body of Christ. You and I are part of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Now, if I was talking to a school, if I was a principal of a school and I got over the PA system and I said, I want the entire student body to come to the auditorium, what are they talking about? The members collectively of the student body. And the same thing is true with the church. It's the body of Christ, but it's everybody together that makes up the body. And we may perform functions, and and we may be a hand or an eye or a foot or whatever. Some of us might be what 1 Corinthians talks about as uncomely parts. Now, we think about that with a body. I can very quickly think of uncomely parts. Your liver, your gizzard, your... uh, Start talking about your heart and lungs and some of that kind of stuff. Now... I, I was present when my wife uh, uh, had twins and they were delivered by C-section and I've seen the inside of my wife. That's uncomely parts. That's not her best features inside. But you know, they're the most important features. Now imagine for just a moment that the lungs were not working right or the, the heart was not working right and, and we look inside and, the, and it doesn't look pretty at times. But I want to tell you it's some of the most important aspects of the body. I want to tell you, sometimes there are things in the church that are seen. They're kind of out front. They look. Maybe somebody's leading a song or leading a prayer. They're fantastic in the way that they can verbalize a prayer and those kind of things. And those things may be seen. And we may even give a lot of accolades to those things. But I want to tell you, none of those things are as important as what goes on inside. And the, the, the function inside the body of Christ. All of us portray a certain aspect and have a role to play. In the body of Christ, we are the members collectively. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 27, you're the body of Christ and members in particular. All of us have an individual aspect of the body, but collectively we make up the body of Christ. My voice is still changing. It's also called house of God in the scripture. And this is the uh, talks about the, the family relationship, that we're part of a family. And that's the reason I was telling Mark as he was working on uh some of the theme things related to this meeting this week, that I wanted to use this passage in First Timothy chapter three and verse number fifteen, kind of as a theme passage this week. The apostle Paul's writing to a young man Timothy, he says, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You know the church has a responsibility. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We talk a lot of times about truth. You know what truth is? Truth is something that doesn't change. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. And the church ought to be supporting the truth. The church ought to be the foundation of truth. Out of our pulpits throughout the land today ought to be truth. Out of the voices and the tongues of our members of the local bodies of congregations ought to be the truth out of the kingdom of Jesus Christ throughout this world, ought to be a light of truth to this world. And, and certainly you and I have an individual responsibility in that. When we talk about the house of God, we're talking about the family relationship. I'm from the house of David Fleming, the household of David Fleming. That's my dad. And we use that term. There's a literary parts of, a part of speech called metonymy. We're not talking about the house. Of David Fleming. We're talking about the house, the contents, the household of David Fleming. And scripture uses metonymy in a lot of different ways. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the house of God. We, you, I, the people, are in the house of God. We belong to God. We're members of the house of God. And the term kingdom is used in scripture as well, and typically that term denotes a governmental relationship, that there's a king and there's subjects and a law and there's territory and those type of things. Well, there are passages of scripture that use that, but they're talking about the church. They're talking about you and I, the called out of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 13, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The apostle Paul said he had been translated or changed out of the power of darkness... Into what the kingdom of Jesus Christ that's the church he'd been translated out of sin into the Church of Jesus Christ, he was a part of the church, he was the called out, he had been called out of sin into the kingdom. Colossians chapter four and verse number eleven, Jesus, which is called justice through the circumcision, these only are my fellow laborers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. He had fellow laborers in the kingdom. Of God, You and I are a part of that kingdom of God. And in that family relationship, we share with each other in that. We help carry one another's burdens or bear one another's burdens when those burdens are too heavy to bear on our own. I told you I'd show you a definition of the word uh, church out of Strong's. Uh, Ekklesia is the Greek word there. And I just want you to notice a calling out. That is a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation, Jewish synagogue, Christian community of members on the earth or saints in heaven or both assembly or church you know sometimes um there's a song that was written years ago that said you can't go to church because the church is you you know kind of thing and there's a meaning behind that song which is fine but actually the song's incorrect you can go to church because sometimes the term church is translated assembly in scripture ecclesia in Acts chapter 14 we'll look at that here in a moment as well So it just depends on the way we're terming the term church. That sometimes it's talking about you and I have an individual responsibility. Sometimes it's a local congregation has a responsibility. Sometimes it's the church universal. Meaning if you've been baptized into Christ, you've been a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I was in a meeting last week over in Amarillo. And I'm in no way being negative to the comment. Don't interpret it that way at all. But there was a young man there that had not been a member of the church very long. He was still growing. And he was still learning, but I asked him how long it had been since he was a member of the church or how long he'd been a member there. And he said, well, I was baptized into Christ last December, but I've been a member here maybe, you know, two months longer than that or something. What he meant was, I was baptized into Christ, but I've been attending here longer than that. But he was baptized into Christ in December. And I took a moment to explain to him that when he was baptized into Christ, is when he became a member that's that's what puts you into the body of christ that's what made you a part of the family of god he was young understand that i'm not being negative to that i'm just saying that we need to make sure we understand what's happening when we're baptized into christ god is adding us to the family of god to his family we're the called out we've been called out of sin into the kingdom of jesus christ we've been called out of our homes, to places of worship when the elders have called assemblies together. But it's when you're a member of the body of Christ when they do that. And called out happens in multiple ways. We talked about that, the individual aspect, your members in particular, but you're the body of Christ. Acts 4, 13, of verse number 2, As they minister to the Lord and fast the Holy Ghost, said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul for the work thereunto. I have called them. Sometimes we've been called a particular ministries individual ministries within that local congregation the congregation itself acts 14 verse number 23 i told you about this word is ecclesia and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting they commended them to the lord unto whom they believed or on whom they believed this term here is goes to that you can't go to church because church is you type concept you can go to church because it's In this word, in this particular passage, they mean the assembly of the church. They ordain them elders in every assembly of the church. Okay, that's the local aspect of the congregation. So when you say you go to church... You're right. You're going to the assembly of the church. And, and sometimes the term is used that way. First Corinthians chapter 14 gives instruction for women to keep silence in the churches. For it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it's a shame for women to speak in the church. That's talking about the local capacity of the church, the local congregation and the assembly of the church. That passage is not applicable to those that are everywhere, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a part of the church, therefore, if I'm a woman, I can't ever open my mouth. That's not what that verse says. That verse is talking about the local assembly of the church, the local congregation of the church. And then there's passages related to the universal church. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. If your name is written in heaven, you're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The universal aspect of the church in its broadest perspective. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtain mercy you are the chosen or a chosen generation a royal priesthood and notice who that is those that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light okay that's you and i we've been called out of sin into the kingdom of jesus christ we're a part of that chosen generation we're part of the general assembly and church of the firstborn You and I are a part of that universal church. We've been called out of sin into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 verse number 14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know what separates us from others? If you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you're going to be zealous of good works. And you might do a heart check for just a moment. If you're not zealous of doing good things... If you're not zealous of good works, there may be a church problem here. There may be a spiritual problem here because those that are a peculiar people that are the called out that are whose names are written in heaven, they are zealous of good works. That's what Titus chapter 2 and verse number 14 tells us. Now, I gave you all that background to tell you a few things this morning. You're a part of the body of Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've been added to the Lord's church, you've been added to the kingdom of Jesus Christ... You've been called out of darkness into light. You are called to be sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are the church. You're the ecclesia. You are the, the family of God, the body of Christ. All of those things, that's you and I that are members of the Lord's body. And what a privilege to be a part of that kingdom of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, I think we as members of the kingdom suffer sometimes with understanding what that means what it does for us in a practical way that's what i want to spend the rest of my time talking about this morning i want to tell you you've been called out and i want to start off this morning with talking about you've been called for a purpose you got a reason to get up out of bed every morning you're a part of the kingdom of jesus christ you've been called out of this world into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You've been called out of your homes into an assembly. You've been called out of sin to be a part of Jesus Christ, to be a part of his body. You've got a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And I think folks struggle with that sometimes. You know, we have folks occasionally that I don't know how to describe it, but it's challenging mentally. They get in a depressed mode. Life's not worth living or whatever. And I want to tell you, if you've got clinical depression, I mean, there's a clinical problem going on, you need to see a doctor. That's that's really the answer because there could be a chemical problem happening that's getting you in a depressed state. But that's not really the type of depression I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not talking about clinical depression this morning. I'm talking about people who just don't see a purpose in living. They just don't, they, they don't wake up recognizing the fact they have something they've got to do. They're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, if you're a part of the church, you've got a purpose. There's no reason for you to be down in the doldrums about what life and how life is going and i just can't believe life is happening to be this i want to tell you you've got stuff to do and you've got responsibilities one of the saddest things to me in in i'm gonna throw out the name and, and i want to preface it with just saying all i've done is read the news report so i don't know if what's true and what's not true in those news reports it's kind of hard to tell sometimes but there was a guy by the name of robin williams if y'all remember the name robin williams was a comedian Robin Williams was Mork of Mork and Mindy. Robin Williams was in the movie RV. And if you've ever seen him through, you know, out in our culture, uh, he does a lot of comedy type stuff and very high energy. You know, if you were looking at Robin Williams from the outside, you'd say, man, that guy's got a sense of humor. That guy's got people all around him. That guy's got money in the bank. He's popular. Amazing. Robin Williams, a talent. I mean, he's got more talent. That guy's brain would just click like that and has more talent in his little fingers than most of us would work our lifetime to have. Just amazingly talented, rich, family, all those sort of things. You go, man, that guy's got it. He, that guy's got the package. And he got to a spot, apparently, where he took his own life. How do you get there? Apparently, it's not money in the bank that makes life worth living apparently there's something deeper to life than just having family and friends around you apparently there's something deeper to life than having a great sense of humor and people being around you and think you're the greatest guy and you're the center of attention apparently there's something deeper in life than just having a very quick wit and intellect and make people laugh in the room apparently there's something deeper in life and i want to tell you folks if you're a member of the kingdom of jesus christ you ought to understand what's deeper in life You've got a purpose to get up in the morning. There's no reason that you ought to wake up and put your feet on the floor and go, oh, just can't believe the burdens of today. And I'm not saying there aren't difficult burdens to bear. But I want to tell you, you're a part of the kingdom of Jesus. You've got a purpose to get, get up in the morning. I want to talk to you about that purpose for just a moment. Psalm 139, verse number 14. I want you to read this psalm. I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I will praise thee. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm telling you what, if you're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ this morning, you ought to be able to sing those praises louder and grander than anybody else ever anywhere could. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's true of everybody else. But you know where it came from. You're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I will praise thee. You want to know what your purpose is every morning you get up out of bed. What your purpose is for living. What your purpose is for getting out of bed. I will praise thee. You want to know what your purpose is? Make God look good. Everybody you meet, make God look good. Every decision you make, make God look good. You wanted to understand purpose in life? Make God look good. Wake up in the morning and make it your purpose all day long to make God look good. Not I look good or you look good. God look good. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You've got a purpose. You've got a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I want you to notice Ephesians chapter 3 verse number 9. Through verse number 11. This verse is a... I don't know. In the last 10 years has just popped out to me in Scripture far more than it ever had. I read through it a million times, but it just popped out. There's so much in these passages of Scripture. I want to share them with you this morning. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent that now and the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I want to break this verse down a little bit and I just want you to focus in on some things. Make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You know one of the responsibilities you've got when you get up in the morning is to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You go, well, it's a mystery to me what the mystery is. And I I didn't know there was a mystery. First Timothy 3, verse number 16, the very following verse, after our theme verse for the week in verse number 15 that says, if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. very next verse says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, preached into the Gentiles, was believed on in the world, was received up into glory. You believe that this morning? You believe God was manifest in the flesh? That's Jesus Christ came to this earth and he brought goodness and he brought light to a dark place. He preached to the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. He was received up in the glory. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the ascension of Christ this morning? Do you believe God was when, do you believe God came from heaven and came here on the face of this earth without controversy? Greatest mystery of godliness. You want to talk about what the mystery is? That God came in the flesh. And this verse says the entire world needs to see it. That all men may see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You know what the fellowship aspect of that is? That's you and I. We share in that. That God was manifest to the flesh. Now I want you to notice this that now unto principalities of powers and powers in heavenly places might be known how? By the church. The manifold wisdom of God. You want to know how the world's going to know the manifold wisdom of God? How the world's going to know the wisdom of God? Do you know how the world is going to know that God's a good God and that God cares for them and loves them and wants good, for, good things for them? Do you know how they're going to know that? By the church. You and I. We've got a responsibility to get up every morning and make God look good. We've got a responsibility to make God look good. And you and I ought to take that responsibility serious when we wake up in the morning. And then let's look at the last part of that verse. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He purposed it in Christ Jesus our Lord and it's an eternal purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine. We looked at this verse just a minute ago, but I want you to focus on one aspect of the verse. That you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness. You want to know what your purpose is? To show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness. I will praise The. There's no reason to be down. There's no reason to be discouraged. There's no reason to be depressed. There's no reason to have heavy feet and just can't really make it through the day. I want to tell you folks, you've got a purpose. We had a lady in our congregation one time that got on Facebook, and it always creates elders' problems when people get on Facebook. So I just want to say that, just because it's always a challenge when people get on Facebook to state their personal views of things. And this is a mom of multiple kids, and she said she was bored. And I want to tell you, moms, I don't know how you can be bored. You got a job to do, right? It's, it ain't an easy job. It's a tough job. It's a challenging job. It's tough. But I want to tell you, that's kind of like Christians sitting around going, I'm bored. There's really nothing to do. I'm telling you, you've lost purpose somewhere in there, if that's the case. So I want to tell you, you've got a reason to get up every morning. Moms, part of your responsibility, I'm not saying it's all your responsibility, but part of your responsibility is to sing forth the praises of God Almighty and those children that you're influencing every day you've got a job to do why would any of us be sitting around going i'm bored now i recognize in certain contexts we say those things we don't really mean it in its larger context but the reality is let's watch our speech we're not bored we've got a purpose we get up every morning you know what purpose means purpose means we do it on purpose we're doing it intentionally it kind of comes from the root Of the showbread in the tabernacle, which we might make a comparison to maybe the the communion in a Christian worship. It's set on purpose. We're doing it intentionally. That's the eternal purpose of God. And you guys, on purpose, every day, have work to do. And it's to make God look good. Moms, make God look good all day long. Dads, make God look good all day long. Elders in the church, make God look good. Because God, that's the reason why we get up in the morning, is to sing forth the praises of him who had called us out of darkness. We've been called to be a servant. Matthew 20, verse number 28, as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Christ didn't come to give orders. Christ came to serve. And I'm going to guess this week there's going to be opportunities of service, maybe the community, things like that, that the church is going to be involved in. We've been called to those things. Part of why we do that, what? To make God look good. That's the purpose behind it. First Peter chapter two, verse number twenty-one. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. He suffered, we suffer. We're willing to put self aside and we're willing to bear the cross of Jesus. He's called us to serve. Matthew chapter ten of verse number thirty nine. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And I tell you there's some folks that have struggled, I think, with the idea they want to get out there and they want to capture everything life's got. And they want to soak it all in, men, and and they'll drink and they'll drug and they'll try to get everything life's got. Wine, women, song, whatever the situation is, they're, gonna, uh, they're just going to try to ooze everything out of life they can and squeeze life out of it. And you know what they end up with at the end of it? Heartache and suffering. No real life when it's said and done. In fact, they give their life up. They lose their life in the process, sometimes. Physically lose their life. But they really spiritually lose it. They've squeezed everything out of life till there's nothing left. As opposed to somebody who makes wise decisions in life, makes Christian decisions in life, lives for a greater purpose than self, and understands the importance of being a servant, etc., can really find true life and true joy. I think about that sometimes. I think about my dad. My dad is 70. He'll be 77 years old this year. He's kind of had a bad year. The last, uh, last November, if you'd have seen my dad, I saw him in the hospital. He was gray and I'd, I'd be surprised if he were alive today, but he's still alive today. He's had a, he had a little uptick and started feeling better. He even led some songs at church, that kind of thing. But here lately, he's been kind of bad again. It's been one of those roller coasters. He's just had a rough year. But you know, when I look at my dad's life, you know what I see in my dad with Thanksgiving time? That's a big time around our family. My dad's not much of a Christmas guy, but he's a big Thanksgiving guy. You know, it seems like there's either one side or the other. Lisa's family's more Christmas and, and less Thanksgiving. Dad's more Thanksgiving and less Christmas. And, and I'm not knocking either one of those. I'm just saying from a marriage standpoint, I'm married perfect because Thanksgiving's at dad's and Christmas is at her's. So it works out for our family, you know. But you know what true joy is? My dad sits over in a corner... And he had four kids and those kids had kids. One of those kids had nine kids and those kids have had kids and a bunch of those nine kids have had kids. And I don't know the number, but he's got a bunch. Let's just put it that way. There's a bunch of people show up at Thanksgiving. You know what true joy is? Sitting back in the living room and you're the grandpa of all of that. That's true joy. Now imagine for just a moment if my dad had followed wine women's song and squeezed everything out of life and drugs and everything else. Imagine where my dad would be at 77 if he made it to 77, living a life like that. He wouldn't be in a room with 30 and 40 and 50 grandkids. He wouldn't be enjoying that. i tell you, when I look at this verse, I think about that kind of stuff. If you really want to try to go out there and live life, and you think you're living life and you're squeezing everything out of life, You really end up losing the things that really make life happen. I'm telling you, these things are some of the most important things. My dad may have lived what most people would call a boring life. But I'm telling you, at the end of his days, he's looking out in a very fulfilled life because he's got some people around him that love him and care about him and honor him and cherish him, care about his well-being. And he understands what life is all about. He gets it. And there's a lot of people that don't. If all you're about is serving yourself, you're going to end up losing the important things of life when it's said and done. And I want to encourage you today to recognize you're the called out of Jesus Christ. You've been called to be a servant. To put self aside and understand true meaning of life is to help and be a light. In a community to others. Luke 14 verse number 27. Whosoever does not bear his cross come after me cannot be my disciple. If we're not willing to bear the cross of Jesus. We're not a disciple of Christ when it's said and done. Okay. Because the disciples of Christ are servants. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse number 24. This verse I struggle with this verse. I really do. The servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves If God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by his will. Let me tell you why I struggle with that verse. I've been doing church work for 30 some odd years. And this verse was really written to evangelists. That's who the servant of the Lord was. Now, I know in a broader context, we can talk, we're all servants of God, and we're all servants of the Lord, and and it's true. An application of the verse can be made to all of us. But this was actually written to an evangelist. It was written to a guy that's a servant of the Lord. You're a servant of the Lord. You're an evangelist of Jesus Christ. You're out there evangelizing his word. And I want you to notice these characteristics. Gentle unto all men. I struggle with gentle. I try. I just struggle with it. Apt to teach patient i struggle with patience. i don't know about you all but i struggle with patient now notice the next phrase in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves i struggle with meekness i'm not saying i don't work at it i'm just saying i struggle with it maybe you do too i don't know but i look at that verse and it says the servant of the lord must Not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I tell you, brothers, I've come so far short in those aspects. It's not a natural aspect of my personality, etc. I've got a son-in-law, and God has blessed him. And I kind of live by the general philosophy that a lot of times people's strengths are their weaknesses, and their weaknesses are also their strengths. If y'all notice that in people, a lot of times that's the case. My son in law is one of the most gentle, meekest spirits of anybody I know. He's a fantastic guy and he's gentle and he's got all those characteristics that I would love to have. And I and I really, truly see it in him. He lives it every day. He's gonna be honest with you, even to his own herd, he'll say, This is this is what happened and and he doesn't get excited, it. he's just gentle about it and all that. I mean, you can't hardly get mad at the guy because he's just so, such a gentle spirit. Well, let me tell you what he struggles with. Knocking on somebody's door to tell them about Jesus. Because his gentleness, he struggles on the other side of, of being able to talk and socialize and shake hands. And there are some of us who probably are more blessed with, I can shake hands and talk to people and knock on doors, and we think that that's an evangelist, Right? Because he can go talk to people, etc. And that may be the area that may be more of a strength to me. But let me tell you where the weakness is. Gentle. Meekness. Patience. I don't do that very well. Ask Brother Michael sometime, McCorkle. Because um, sometimes I call him just to go... Ah! I just want to be And sometimes it has to do with foreign mission work and different sort of things like that. I'm just... Sometimes he's just, I call to go, I'm not calling for any reason except to just go, I cannot believe. Because patient and meekness and gentle doesn't come natural to me and try to work on it. And you know what Michael reminds me of? Gentle. Meekness. Right? We're the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what my job is? Make God look good. My job is not to bear down on somebody. It's not to, crush somebody in the ground. My job is not to be a bull in a china closet and tell people exactly as it is and and how the cow ate the cabbage. That's not what an evangelist is. An evangelist is meek and gentle and instructs, cares for, patient. And I commit to you, I still work on it. I really will. And I'm not saying that jokingly. I really will. I really do. Because they are challenges for us and challenges for me specifically. First Thessalonians chapter 2. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. This verse says to walk worthy of God. How? He said he exhorted and comforted and charged as a father doth his children. To me that verse is very illuminating. Number one, guess what a father does to his children? He charges, he exhorts, he comforts. That's kind of a given in this passage. When when Paul's writing that, he's explaining, this is what a father does to his children. Everybody understands that's what a father does. But you know, we got a lot of fathers that don't teach their children. We got a lot of fathers that don't correct them or comfort them or care for them. He understood that's the way they do it, but he's encouraging them as a congregation to be that kind of people just like a father with his children and why did he say that that you would walk worthy that you would walk worthy of god who has called you into his kingdom and glory god's called you to something to make god look good that you'd walk worthy of it first Corinthians chapter 7 of verse number 22 for he that is called in the lord being a servant is the lord's freeman likewise also he that is called being free is christ's servant You know, I serve more than anything else. It's not self. It's Jesus Christ. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm free in Christ, but I've got a lot of liberty in Christ. But I am His servant. I serve Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5 says, For brethren, you've been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. You know what he's saying? Because you're free in Christ, you've got liberty in Christ. Doesn't mean you use it to the occasion of the flesh so that you can do nasty things. In the process, the reality is you've been called to Christ. You've been given liberty in Christ. You've been given freedom in Christ. Why? Make God look good when it's said and done. You've been called to raise a standard. I want to talk to you about something that I think is very difficult today. And it's the concept of a standard. Because in our culture around us, we want to destroy the standards. What's what's the idea of standards? You know, if you're a machinist... You have to calibrate your equipment because a millimeter makes a difference. The finest amount that you would lathe off of a piece of metal would be the difference between the piston going up and the piston going down. It all matters, and you've got to calibrate the equipment. Do you know what they calibrate the equipment to? A standard. My dad worked in a laboratory, and he tested plastics. And basically their company made plastic pellets and the, the customers for his company were people who made plastic bags, milk jugs, everything related to plastic, dashboards of your car. They would order plastic and basically they sent plastic out in pellets by the train full. I mean they absolutely just unloaded these plastic pellets on these trains and they would send them out to whoever the customer was. It's going to take that plastic, that raw material, and going to make a dashboard for your car these customers would say we want a plastic that meets this standard whatever the number was it's got a they would he worked in the laboratory so they would stretch the plastic and they would make sure that the plastic would had the compaction that it needed all that different stuff he tested all that they called it extruding plastic and they would make bags and see how how uh, the strength of the bag was and all that sort of stuff and all the time, he said they had people in his company that would come to him and they would say, Just send it out. You know? And he said, I'm in a laboratory. The customer asked for certain standards, it doesn't meet those standards. Bring me a sample that meets those standards. We'll send it out on the train out to the customer. People couldn't get it because they don't want standards. Let's lower the standards. Let's make the standards. Or just send it out. And I want to tell you, standards are challenging. Living by standards is challenging. We don't like standards. But I'm telling you, you really do like standards or you ought to like standards. Now, I'll tell you, I don't do perfection very well. But I'll be honest with you, that's what the standard is. To make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, and settle you. And I know we get into the discussions about perfect means complete and all those sort of things, but I'm telling you, it also means perfect. We don't do perfect well. I don't know about you. Maybe you do perfect well. I don't do perfect well. So I don't like the standard. So let's lower the standard down to, to impatient. Let's lower the standard down to not gentle. He's a bull in the china closet. Let's lower the standard down to, And then all of us can meet those standards. It's not a problem. We all feel good about ourselves, right? You know the problem with that? Is we no longer have standards. We have nothing we're working toward anymore. We built a house about a year ago or so for our daughter and son-in-law, Chase and Elizabeth, for those who know that, know them. But we started on that house. And when I say we built it, Chase built it, I helped advise, you know, I pointed, you know, and that kind of thing. But I told Chase before we ever started that, Chase had never built a house before. His dad is a master electrician, um, so, you know, we used a lot of ourselves. He and I built cabinets and, and different kinds of, I say cabinets, but shelving, and, and we trimmed and hung doors and things like that. But we basically hired subs to, to do a lot of the work, that kind of thing. When I say we, I mean he did a lot of those things. But I told him before we ever started, I said, you need to get perfect out of your head. This house will not be perfect. It just won't. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to have perfect for a standard. We're aiming for perfect. But when we get finished, it ain't going to be perfect. It isn't. It's built by human beings and human beings suffer with the concept of perfect. We just, it's a challenge for us. Well, we didn't get a month into that project. Chase looked at me and he said, I guess there went perfect out the window, you know, because we found the first flaw that that we had to work on correcting. Construction's a series of trying to solve problems. And how do you, how do you get around this particular issue? And how are we going to deal with that? That's what construction is. Perfect went out the window. But, you know, perfect is the standard. That's what we're aiming for. If I start down here aiming for there, guess where I'm going to hit? less than that because i've set my standard right here so i'm going to be aiming down here pretty soon we got the standard down here and i'm aiming pretty soon we're just all a bunch of thugs out here that ain't got any kind of standard at all we all step over it without hardly even trying and then we get a bunch of people that don't even try in life i want to tell you i don't want to change the standard the standard's the word of god the standard's perfection the standard is not subjective reasoning. I'm not comparing myself to you, people that's in the room. What I'm comparing myself to is the word of God. Perfection. That's the standard. What I'm comparing myself to is Jesus Christ. The standard. Perfection. I know then where I come short. That's why I know that my patience needs to be worked on. Or my uh, ability to be gentle needs to be worked on, etc. Because I'm comparing it to The standard of perfection. And I know that I don't meet it. And I struggle with that. I'm thankful for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that balances those scales and helps us in life, etc. But I want to tell you, Christian people, you're the called out of Jesus Christ. You're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We raise the standard. We lift the standard up and say, we're going to live by a standard. Let me talk to you about some of those standards Uh, be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect a standard of holiness god didn't call you to uncleanness but holiness we don't live like a bunch of gentiles that have no ability to control what they do with their body etc we look out here in the world today there's no there's no honor for marriage there's no honor for their bodies it's sleep with whoever you want to sleep with do whatever drink anything put anything in your body whatever no standards just whatever makes you feel good that's the standard I want to tell you, God didn't call the church of Jesus Christ to uncleanness. He called you to holiness. That's the church of Jesus Christ. You're the called out. You are the body of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the standard. You and I are Christian people. We're a light in the world. We're going to make God look good out there. We're going to raise the standard. We may fall short of it. I get you. I fall short of it. But the reality is we're lifting a standard and say we're going to live by something that's greater than. We can be the kind of people God wants us to be. Second Timothy chapter 1 who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he had given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He called us to glory and virtue. Second Peter chapter 1, and verse number 3, according as his divine power, given unto us all things that pertain unto the life of God, and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You know what you've been called to? You've been called to holiness. You've been called to perfection. You've been called to glory and virtue. You're the church of Jesus Christ. You're the called out. You've been called to lift the banner. Now, when I use this term, I'm talking about... Uh, Lisa and I, a few years ago, went to Disney World. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of Mark Parkhurst's definition of Disney World. I love Mark Parkhurst's definition of Disney World. If y'all know Mark very well, Mark is a... Uh, let's just say he sees the glass half empty. Okay? And... He said, I, let me tell you what about going to Disney World. That's about like standing out on a hot parking lot in the middle of August or July in 110 degree heat with thousands of people pressed around you. Somebody spraying a water hose on you and you're throwing $100 bills up in the air. That's Disney World. He doesn't exactly get the concept of Disney World. Disney World is an impressive place, but you do throw a lot of $100 bills up in the air and it feels like you're pressed around with a bunch of people and people are spraying a water hose on you and it's blazing hot out there. So I get the point. But you know, when Lisa and I are people watchers, we went to Disney World and, and we basically went because the entire family went and we were grandparents. So that meant we went and paid, you know, hundreds of dollars to go in. And hold our grandchild while everybody else went and enjoyed Disney World, and we enjoyed every minute of it, right? It was worth every penny, so we basically you know the kids are saying what are we're going to do this we're going to do that we we're going we don't care, we just want to go right so we're sitting out in the hot heat, we're holding Malachi at the time Malachi was a young baby, all the kids are going to ride rides we're standing there or sitting there i don't stand very long at Disney World. We sat there and we were just watching people. I love to watch people. It's very entertaining to watch people. And there'd be some girl that would show up and she'd be in a red shirt and she'd raise a red flag and pretty soon there'd be 40 red shirts. You know what she's doing? She's raising a banner. She's saying, hey, all the red shirt people, over here, we're headed this direction. And everybody could see the banner raised up. You're the church of Jesus Christ. Guess what we're doing? We're raising a banner and we're saying, hey, all the people that want to live by the standards, all the people that want to be the church of Jesus Christ, all the people that want to do all the people that want to get up in the morning with a purpose and want to get up with a smile on their face and want to get up and live life and and understand what life's about and live it to its greater purpose and all that. Hey, we're meeting over here. That's us. Come join us. Come join the band. Lift the banner. You're the church of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 13 said lift ye up a banner on the high mountain and I'm gonna get you to the end of that verse just for time's sake and you'll recognize the noise of a multitude in the mountains like as of a great people. I want to tell you we need to be lifting up a banner to the world and they recognize there's a noise of a multitude of people, great people, you and I and there's a lot more like us in a lot of other places that actually don't want to live like trash. We want to live like the Lord Jesus Christ wants to live. And we want to influence the world for good things. Raise a banner up and say, come join us. Be a part of that. Psalm 60, verse number 4. Thou hast given banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. What do you do with a banner? You display it. We're not lifting up Jesus Christ to be seen of men. We're doing that to glorify who? Him. Make God look good. That's a purpose. You've been called to be a witness. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. And hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. You have been called to be a witness of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a job? You got a reason to get up in the morning. It's to witness for Jesus Christ. And you've got a reason to do that. And I want to tell you as we close this morning. You've been called to show forgiveness. And I'll tell you, the world doesn't understand forgiveness. The world can keep a family grudge going forever. The world can hate each other and fight each other. And nations can be pitted against nations. And you know what the church can do? Forgive. And that is a powerful testimony to the blood of Jesus Christ. Families can be reunited. Husbands and wives can be reunited. Churches can be reunited. Why? Because we understand the power of forgiveness. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, if the church doesn't show forgiveness, who will? And there's too many in the church that are holding bitterness and grudging and grudges and all kinds of things against others and all that sort of stuff. And I want to tell you, you're the church of Jesus Christ. We don't do that. We forgive. Our hearts are soft and malleable. That's the standard of the church of Jesus Christ. You've been called to show forgiveness. Look at the passage here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they may speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of him that is good? I want to tell you, you're the called out. You're the church of Jesus Christ. You're a part of the family of God. You know what the family of God doesn't do? We don't say bad things about each other. We don't render railing for railing. What we do is show forgiveness. What we do is, contrary-wise, we don't open up our mouth and blurt out blobby stuff. What we do is open our mouth and we blurt out blessings. That's what Christians do. You're the called out of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never known forgiveness. You know you're in sin. You know you're short of the standard of of Jesus Christ. You know you've never accepted the calling out of the world, out of darkness into his marvelous light, you've got an opportunity during this invitation song to respond to that. And this church here today, these elders with open arms today want to show you forgiveness. They want to open their arms up to fellowship, to be a part of this body, of this local congregation. Certainly want you to be a part of the universal kingdom of jesus christ wants you to take an individual role and responsibility and they want you to make god look good you've got a you've got an opportunity this morning to say i'm not going to stand with the world out there in uncleanness i'm going to stand with the people that are raising a banner to do good we're going to stop the nonsense and the fighting and the fuss and all that sort of stuff. And what we're going to do is be what God wants us to be to the best of our ability. We are going to be working toward the standard. And I want to hold hands with people that want to do that same thing. And I tell you, this morning, you've got an opportunity. Maybe you've made the call and you've been separated out of the world in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You've fallen short of that. And I want to tell you this morning, there's forgiveness. There is forgiveness in the body of Christ. We're gonna sing a song, and if the church can help you in any way this morning, and help you with that spiritual need, that spiritual void, something that's separating you from God, and you need cleansing and healing and forgiveness and communion and fellowship with Him, you've got an opportunity this morning to take care of that spiritual need, and these elders will be assisting you with that. Anything the church can do to help you with that this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected?